Blog Talk Radio. And we're back to the intro, kind of working, not so much. What can I say? A beautiful Hoboken day. Got a pooping kid in the, laughing at me right now. I got, got Matt Harvey to talk about basketball, football. Well, not too much football, basketball, hockey. Welcome back from San Francisco, Sean. Thanks, and a very happy birthday to my Aunt Rachel, who is a friend and supporter of the show. So a happy 60th birthday to a woman that doesn't look a day over 40. Uh, what a great time she we had she... out in Napa. And once again, I realized that I have absolutely no idea what good wine is and what bad wine is. I just know what I like, and that doesn't necessarily make it good or bad. Well, I just wouldn't tell a girl that on a first date, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. Luckily, my wife has become acclimated that I drink beer. No one ever accused me of being classy. Ugh. So... No, we definitely not, have no class on the show. Absolutely none. And that, and that's no. okay for both of us. And we're also not the only ones that are apologizing today. Matt Harvey has decided to apologize for staying out late at night, then going golfing, and then not showing up to the park. And there have been many different reactions across the sports world to the dark night and whether he is making his way out of New York. I think Mets fans in mass have always thought that of the pitchers that the Mets have, Matt Harvey would be the one that does not survive. That would be let go. That was going to get traded. And now I think there's absolutely no doubt that that will happen. None whatsoever. I think this is a, a parting shot. Oh, I disagree. Uh, I don't disagree that he, of all the, of all the people, he's been the one who has been most outwardly blatant about wanting going to the best available offer. But if you're the Mets, what exactly are you going to do? You're going to you're going to drop him for ten cents on the dollar? Are you, you going to? I mean, he has no value right now. And you're a team that's still trying or hoping to make a run at the playoffs this year. If you can somehow survive without him and without uh, Syndergaard for a, for a period of time, or not without, I mean, he'll be back on Friday, but you're not making the playoffs without Matt Harvey, most likely. You know, we, Steven Metz, we haven't heard from him in forever. Zach Wheeler, I, I know, you know, Syndergaard's out. I mean, DeGrom is DeGrom, but he's, Harvey's right now, you know, as bad as he's been the last couple starts, he's your number two pitcher. And you're well, not going to just drop them. Well, let's remember, Seth. Last year, the Mets made the playoffs without Matt Harvey for the majority of the True. year. This, this year, before this chaos, Matt Harvey was pitching with a 5 ERA. Before he got hurt last year, he had a 5 ERA. He has not been the same player in almost three years. So to say that the Mets are not making the playoffs – Without Matt Harvey, I'm not saying that they will or won't, but at the same time, this is not this this is not Clayton Kershaw we're talking about here. This is not Chris Sale. No, this is not a number one or perhaps number two starter right now 
in the major leagues in the the way that he has pitched the last three years. And that's I'm not saying that's any fault of his own. He's gotten hurt. That's what pitchers do. That's why you don't sign pitchers to long-term contracts. Because in ver- inevitably, these guys get hurt. The, the human arm is not supposed to take the torque that it does by a pitcher. It, it just puts stress where it's not supposed to be. Now, this is coming from a guy that hurt his shoulder this weekend, putting a bag up on a shelf. So, I mean, who am I to talk about injuries? But the fact is, he hasn't been that pitcher. So, can the Mets make the playoffs without him? Yeah, they can. They, they did it last year. Can they, would they like to have a better Matt Harvey? Yeah, they certainly would. Are they going to trade him today? No, I don't believe, I wasn't saying that they're going to part with him by Friday. I just think that this absolutely cements the fact that if they don't trade him by the end of next year, he will absolutely walk. There will not be a Matt Harvey in a Mets uniform in 2019 at all. I agree with you. I don't think this cements anything one way or the other. Because let's just say he has a great, you know, this is the quote-unquote turning point. Not that I think it will be. But he has a decent end of 17. He has a fantastic 2018. Now, people forget very quickly these kind of things. You know, if Harvey was 5-1 and one with a 2.3 ERA, a lot of this would go under the table. It would be wiped away. People are forgiving when you win. They're just not forgiving well, when I you agree. lose. That, I agree. But if he was 5-1 and one with a 2.1 ERA, a, probably this doesn't happen. B, if it does happen, that means the Mets might trade him even quicker because he has value. So, remember, the Mets are, are, will have him under contract for the, through this year and all of next year. And this guy's agent is one and only Scott Boris. He's going to free agency. He's not going to stay a Met after next year. So, the Mets are looking, or we're looking, even this year to pump up his trade value with a thought of trading him, either during this season or at the end of this season. I don't think he was going to be a Met in 2018. I think this is more than likely going to allow him to be a Met in 2018 because, as you said, he has absolutely no trade value right now. So that might actually get him to 2018. And then the Mets might trade him at the deadline next year. I just don't think in 2019 he's going to be a Met. And I, think, I didn't think so before this. And I think this is – look, you and I have differing opinions, obviously. I, I think this cements it. I think there is a distrust. There was a distrust before this, and I think there is a bigger distrust after this. And I think this is the end of the line for Matt Harvey in New York. I think emotionally the two – the two parties will sever their relationship at the end of next year, if not beforehand. So yeah, well, no, I don't disagree. And you're right. You. I, anyone? Else? I'm sorry. Please. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say anyone led by Scott Boris, you know, is going to go is is going. Hometown loyalty does not come into play typically with Scott Boris clients. So, I don't think this impacts one way or the other whether he was going to leave in 18 or not. Um, I think a more interesting point, 
actually jumping to the other one of the other three uh, one of the other young studs is Noah Syndergaard, who rejected the MRI for reasons that make absolute that I don't even do you know the reasons he rejected it? He, he said he was fine. So in other words, there was no real reason issued. And now no, he, he said he was fine. He said he was fine, and he thought that he knew his body better than anybody else. I do. It's in, it's interesting that when you look at this franchise, I mean, this is a team. Now there seems. I don't know if if a GM asks you to take an MRI, you're getting paid a lot of money to do so, to do to work for somebody. Why would you – what would be the harm in, in doing this? Well, I guess the harm is that you're being obstinate and you think that nothing's wrong. So why would you sit in a tube if nothing was wrong? I mean, that's, that's All right, the I guess point. That's, <laughs> not, that's not that, – to me, that's not a valid point, but that's a point. I know my – I know my body better than anybody else, so I'm not going to do it. Look, the Mets are a cluster of an organization right now. And the lovely part is, of the metropolitan teams, I seem to root for all of them that are clusters. So this is no big deal to me. I mean, I'm a Mets fan, a Jets fan, a Knicks fan, and an Islanders fan, and there isn't one front office other than and what I thought was the Mets there really is no front office that I can say, yes, I'm glad we have those guys in, in power. No, there's no stability on any of my teams. And that's coming from a guy who has, believe it or not, the third longest GM, tenure GM in the NHL right now with Garth Snow, who I think is one of the more atrocious GMs in, in hockey. But we have cheap owners, so there you go. It's it's really a horrible thing that the Mets are going through right now, but they've brought this upon themselves in a lot of respects. So here we are with a team that has the majority of the payroll on the DL or hurt or not showing up. Uh, they have a manager who has been there like eight or nine years already. I mean, believe it or not. So a highly regard, a highly regarded manager, or at least one that will stay there because he's earning not a great salary. And the Mets are cheap. So I seem to root for all the cheap teams too. So congratulations on picking the good teams when you were growing up because I didn't get those. It it does make me significantly less bitter. Let's put it that way. Although I don't think anyone anticipated that this would be a year where the Yankees would be, the Yankees would be better than the Mets. Um, and the Yankees off to a shocking – I think a shocking start is probably a bit of an understatement. What are they, 22-8, and 23-9, and nine, something like that? Keeping Chicago in Chicago, 21-9, and nine, with, you know, winning once in the 18th inning, winning a second time, down two zip with one strike left. The hitting is – People are, I'm starting to, you know, people are starting to make these comparisons, which I don't like. Aaron Judge to Jeter, you know, this, the young team to the mid-90s, kind of the year before, before everything hit. 
I still look at this pitching staff and don't believe. I find it hard to imagine that all these veterans are going to keep playing at this level. But that being said, you're, you're more of the expert than I am. What is your feeling on the Yankees? Well, Jake obviously doesn't like your theory. But the fact yeah, is... Jake, Jake just threw up on himself, so... Awesome. See, Seth, you and I had the same theory to begin with. If the pitching staff stayed healthy, and if the pitching staff pitched to where they could, the Yankees would be fine. And we neither one of us believed that the pitching staff could do that. Well, right now, the pitching staff has done that. Severino, C.C. Sabathia has had a comeback of his career so far this year. Tanaka has stayed relatively healthy. And the back end of the bullpen, Batances and with Chapman, well, aside from Sunday night's game, has been relatively good. So the pitching staff just had to keep them in the games. And the offense has been there with, I mean, Aaron Judge has been tremendous. Chase Headley has, in some ways, justified his contract, at least this year. And the youngins have stepped up to the plate, D.G. Gregorius. And starting Castro, who I have always thought is an excellent player and wanted the Mets to get for some time, is now leading the league in hitting. So they have the hitting. If the pitching staff continues, they'll be fine, and they'll be in the pack. I don't believe the pitching staff will continue, but I've been wrong before, and I will be wrong again. It may not be in this issue, but it certainly will happen. I, I would think so. But, you know, and I agree, you look at the staff, to depend on Michael Pineda for anything is pointless. And, you know, I look how they're winning, and it, I do, as I, you know, I it does seem it is interesting to see a Yankee team similar to the early early nineties, where there isn't, there aren't too many, you know, fourteen million dollar, fifteen million dollar, seventeen million dollar players. Yes, you have Sabathia who's out of off contract, I think next year. Yes, you have Headley, who is playing out of his mind after signing a terrible contract. But there is no, there's no. There's no Teixeira or A-Rod or Swisher, you know, these 13, 14, 15, 16, $20 million players. The number of players on that has decreased. And to see the youth, kind of the enthusiasm of the youth, you know, is, is gratifying for a team that usually that really isn't accustomed to doing so, is not accustomed to building in this capacity. And I mean, you look, Seth, you look, Seth, let's look Seth, this is all, I mean, I'm looking at their stats right now the pitching staff anyway. This is all the bullpen. I mean, 100% the bullpen. You got Shreve, who pitched Sunday, who hasn't given up a run in, in seven innings. You got Adam Warren, who has a .51 ERA in 17 innings. You have Batante, who has a .84 ERA in 10 innings. Tyler Clifford has a 1.26 in 14 Jeremy Holder has a 2.08 in 13, and Araldis Chapman has a 3 ERA in 12. So there's no starting pitcher with under a 3 ERA, but you have six relievers. One, the, the most has been 14 innings, and the least has been seven innings, all with ERAs 
of about two. So basically you're saying get me five innings in and we'll take it from here. And they've been doing exactly that. So if you believe that the bullpen will do as well as they are this year so far, the Yankees are in success land. I mean, Tanaka's got a 4.3. Sabathia's got a 5.4. Anybody that started a game, nobody's got under a 3.1, and that's Pineda. So it's bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. Fair enough. And as I said, look, there is no expectation for the team this year. And while obviously that changes as you go further into the season with this kind of record, and not that I think anyone expects them to keep this up, at least at this, to this capacity. Hold on a second. There you go. Um, it, is, it has been enjoyable and fun to watch. Any other major surprises for you early in the baseball season? Well, the Cubs have been surprising in the fact that the guys that we thought were going to hit, such as Kyle Schwarber, have not. Ben Zobris does not hit. Jason Hayward has come back and hit 250. They're really being led by pitching, and that's surprising to me because I thought that they wouldn't be able to knock the crap out of the ball, and they just haven't been doing it. Uh, you obviously are a little disappointed in Detroit in the fact that they just have so many injuries. Miggy's out for a while. I'm very much surprised by Baltimore staying in it, especially without um, Zach Britton, who's been out for almost a month and will be out at least another month, maybe two. But thankfully for my astute pickup in uh, fantasy football, uh, fantasy baseball, uh, Brandon Bach, the reliever, has pitched amazingly. If you want to look at other surprises, look out to the Dodgers, where Clay Bellinger has come on uh, for an injured Adrian Gonzalez and played extremely well coming up from the minors. I mean, there are always going to be surprises. We're not even – we're just past the one-month part point in the season. Most baseball, once you get past the one-third mark – you basically have where you're going to, who the contenders are and who the pretenders are. So we got another month, month and a half to get to that point. I think one of the bigger surprises, at least in the metro area, is the fact that the weather has been awful and there's not one day I would have liked to have spent at a ballpark this year yet. <laughs> no, it has been spring has come a little Let's put it that way. There have been a few other surprises since he's been surprisingly good. Um, Colorado has just about the best record in, 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 in the National League. Now, in, and even Minnesota's over 500 right now. So I mean, these are three teams which have been on the back end for a long time. Now, not saying that any of the three have any long-lasting, you know, have a long-lasting run, but it is gratifying to see some of these teams at least making runs early on. And as you said, some of these, you know, the Cubs have been mediocre. The Cardinals have been pretty you know, I've been okay. You didn't, you didn't like the Cardinals this year anyway. Um, you know, Seattle's yeah. been pretty mediocre. So, and the Red Sox have been decent. Um, but there's a long way to go. And, you know, I don't know. Call me around July, around August 1st, and I'll start. Then it's easier for me to discuss this stuff. 
as opposed to uh, the end of May, or not even the end of May, the beginning of May. Um, jumping around a little bit. Whenever I listen to, to whenever station I'm listening to driving to the office, whether it's ESPN or Fox Sports or whatever it is, everyone is saying the same thing that the NBA playoffs, for all intents and purposes, are irrelevant and have been boring. Because for all intents and purposes, you know there's a, there's a finals that not, are not only set, but have been set since literally July 4th of last year when Kevin Durant signed with Golden State. How have you found watching the playoffs so far this year? Well, when I do tune into the NBA playoffs, I do find that I'm always rooting for the underdog and the Boston Celtics. So I'm not saying that they haven't been interesting, but I think there definitely has been a line drawn as to who the favorite is and who the underdog is. I don't root for Golden State ever. Um, I feel that last year and the year before, they were a team that you could root for. I think that they weren't as dominating a team as they are this year, even though they won more games last year. This year, I think it's just fait accompli that they're going to be there. And you hate teams like that. You can't root for teams like that because they're too good. They have Yankee syndrome. Like when the Yankees won 116 games, the only people that rooted for the Yankees were Yankee fans. Nobody else could root for them. Everybody rooted against the Patriots going 16-0. and because they were the Patriots going 16-0, and and everybody else wasn't 16-0, and and they were so good. And I think that's where you've gotten with the Warriors. Even more to the point, I think the Warriors, who were the fun-loving group with Andre Iguodala and a younger Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, who have got a lot more publicity, now have become the Draymond Green show, and, Seth, you can comment because I'd be interested in knowing, Draymond Green just gets under my skin. For a guy that was an underdog for the first three years of his career before he got this, the max contract that he signed last year, he was, a, he was a guy that you rooted for. And now he just, it's like he flipped the switch to being a pompous ass. And I don't enjoy watching him at all. Uh, watching him versus listening to him talk are two very separate things. Look, he's probably the best center in basketball, if you want to call him a center. Uh, what he's done, he, he has such a myriad of talents. Yeah, he's annoying, and he's an instigator and a catalyst for a lot of these issues. And, you know, look, it's paid off in a lot of times. But last year, for instance, in the finals when he was suspended, it didn't. Um, I agree with you. Watching, rooting for Golden State at this point is painful. Um, I still may root for them over Cleveland. I, I have no idea. Who, or I just root for nobody. I just want to see good games. But it, hasn't, it has not been the same to me since, since Durant came in. It just isn't. Um, it's disappointing, but, it, you know, it, the, whole, the whole thing was disappointing. And, you know, we talked about that ad nauseum in July. Do you th- now, do you think there's any team that can challenge either of these teams before the final day? I think the Rockets 
look, I don't think the Spurs can do it with, with Golden State. I think they play too much of a different type of game that the Spurs are just not athletic enough to get up and down with Golden State. If there's a team that can challenge in the West, it would be the Rockets. Without Nene there, they play a little bit more Ryan Anderson. They play a little bit more Montrell's Hazrell. Look, it's a little bit more difficult, and they certainly will be the underdog, but if they go in against Golden State, I will not be rooting for Golden State. And I haven't uh, – I, I thought Utah was going to have the – I thought Golden State was going to have the hardest time with Utah. I really thought Utah was going to pull out two games, and they steamrolled them. I mean, steamrolled them. And I was out in the Bay Area this past weekend, and there isn't a Warriors fan that was surprised that they went 4-0. They think that they are just going to steamroll everybody. And then you have the Cavs in the East, and I don't think anybody touches the Cavs. I think there is – there's very much a, at this point, looking in the playoffs, the Cavaliers have a week break to get all rested up. And whether it's um, the Celtics or the, or the Wizards, and I still want to call them the Bullets. I have no idea why. The, the Wizards are, or the Celtics, I think you're going to see Golden State and you're going to see the Cavs. And, look, you, you, you said before who – you couldn't root for Golden State, and you may just watch the basketball. I think that's the point, right? We're waiting for contending basketball. We're waiting for basketball that is interesting and that is close, and we can see at the end of the game buzzer beaters that we've been used to in the past. And this NBA playoffs, we've gotten almost none of that. Good. It's just, I think it's been a bad class because um, Washington and Atlanta surprisingly got pretty checker. But, you know, you, you look, you do, the problem is there never should be an error of inevitability. And there has been one this entire year. And Cleveland getting the one seed or the two seed, we all knew was kind of moot. Um Whoever they play, whether it's Boston or Washington, I, I just I don't see. Them, I mean, I don't. I see them losing a game, maybe two, but no more. And Golden State, same thing. I, I think they'll lose two Houston or San Francisco, one or two games, but I just can't see them losing four. And look, it's a it's a great it's a it's a great matchup. It's it's just you just kind of wish that it was just easier to root for either of these teams. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Seth, you're that. mumbling. We, yeah. we can't hear very much of what you're saying. But I think... Sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't, let, it wasn't particularly intelligent anyway, so don't worry about it. Let, let's be frank here. This is not the first sports league where we have dominating teams. So, look, sports goes in ebb and flows. It always has, and it always will. And we can look at a couple of years ago with Kentucky in the NCAA playoffs, NCAA tournament. And you knew they were going to make the finals. They were, they were head and shoulders above everybody else, the Anthony Davis here. And they proved it, head and shoulders above everybody. And you have the Yankees in the 90s, head and shoulders above everybody. And they proved it. And it's not to say that there isn't a time where teams are head and shoulders above everybody and lose 
it happens more often in a one-game scenario than it does in a seven-game scenario, looking at the Giants and the Patriots twice, and even Kentucky losing in an NCAA tournament or Michigan State or whatnot in the college basketball uh, tournament. But a seven-game tournament, general seven-game series, whether that be baseball, whether that be hockey, whether that be basketball, generally the better team does come out. It's very rare that you have the worst team winning four games. It's, it's as they said when the, when the Giants pl- beat the Patriots. Nine out of ten times, the Patriots are going to beat the Giants. This was the one time that the Giants beat the Patriots. And you got it on today. Not, you didn't have to go and play again tomorrow. So I think when it comes to seven-game series or even five-game series, the better team generally does win out. And in the NBA playoffs, in the NBA this year, I don't think there's any doubt who the best two teams were going into this playoffs. And in all likelihood, those are the two teams that are going to be at the end. So it seems. Now, we can't say the same for the NHL playoffs, which have been topsy-turvy to say the least. I don't, I don't think too many people were counting on a Nashville, potentially Edmonton conference final. Pittsburgh-Washington has been something to behold with Washington dominating Pittsburgh in game six and going to game seven tomorrow night. And, of course, your beloved Rangers blowing a two-goal lead and losing in overtime down 3-2 going in Ottawa tonight. Is the Washington-Pittsburgh winner the overwhelming favorite to win the Cup? Absolutely. But let, let's, for those that are tuning into the show for the first time, beloved Rangers is sarcastic, beyond sarcastic. <laughs> I hate the Rangers. So just wanted to throw that all out. I absolutely hate the Rangers. And that game starts right now at 730. So you and I go to the living room to, to turn on the game. And no, nobody was more surprised that the Rangers blew a three-goal lead with like six minutes left than myself, and happily so. Look, the Pittsburgh-Washington series is incredible. And I did, although I did have Chicago in the finals, I did make two statements. One, I did have Washington in the finals as well, so that's looking pretty good. And I did have as my sleeper pick, if you go back to the NHL playoffs, in which you were busy doing taxes at that time, I did say if you're looking for a sleeper in the NHL playoffs, I think you have Washington and you have Edmonton. So I'd like to put a little bit of credit, even though I am looking down the uh, the awfulness of my Chicago Blackhawk pick in the finals, I did have Edmonton as a sleeper pick. And at, look, youth, is ru- youth has ruled the NHL playoffs this year. It's the youth. It's not the veteran teams. The veteran teams have, have, have gone away. And we have Pittsburgh, who is not really a veteran team. They're kind of in the middle. We have Washington, who is led by youth. We have Nashville, who is red, led by youth. And we have Edmonton, which is the youngest team in the NHL. So maybe it's a little bit of the changing of the guard in the NHL. And that's good for the sport because, again, you don't want – what you have in the NBA. You don't want teams that are there every single year and you know it in July. That's what the NHL playoffs is. Believe it or not, I haven't watched a lot of hockey 
But the hockey that I have watched in the playoffs, immeasurably better than anything I've watched in the NBA. With the with the Anaheim Edmonton game seven upcoming, and all credit to Edmonton, having when they lost a three nothing lead with five minutes to go in game five, I kind of figured the series would end in game six. Didn't see them didn't see them running out to a seven one romp. Who do you have in the conference? Who do you, who wins that game? Well, I'll stay with Edmonton. Um, I think a lot of the NHL is uh, based on momentum. And Edmonton has all the momentum going into this game seven. Now, to say that the same way, Washington has all their momentum going into game seven as well. Washington, Pittsburgh, a little bit different, right? Because the momentum was basically carried by a Sidney Crosby hit and Crosby's back. So when you have the best player in the sport, momentum only goes so far. But I I definitely think that um, McDavid and Edmonton have the momentum going into Game 7. I think they pull out Game 7. And truth be told, if you want hockey to succeed, if if your name is Gary Bettman and you want hockey to succeed, and I know as far as ratings is concerned, you won't get the same ratings. Look, either ratings in – Anaheim, Nashville, or Edmonton, the ratings are not going to be New York and L.A., no matter what. No. But any of those teams, you want Edmonton in the finals. You want want casual fans seeing Connor McDavid on the big stage because he is the next guy. And you want a coming-out party of Connor, Connor McDavid. So I think this is good for the sport. The only veteran team that's left is the Rangers. You so, wouldn't consider Washington veteran. You wouldn't consider Washington a veteran team. I think they have some veterans, but most of their play, the reason why they are so much better this year than they have in the past is because of their youth. Look, Holpe is is the guy now. He's not splitting time with anybody. He's twenty five years old. Uh. I can't pronounce this guy. Eugeny, I think it's Kostenev, is 23 years old. Do they still have Ovechkin? Yeah, they still have Ovechkin. Do they have Justin Williams? Sure, Justin Williams, the Game 7 guy. But the reason that that they are playing as well as they are is not because of those guys, but because of the youth. So if you're looking for the main – the team that is – that is – a veteran team in all shapes, it is the Rangers. Even Ottawa is a younger team. So the Rangers and Ottawa game seven on tonight. You know I'll be rooting hard for Ottawa. Uh, game seven, I believe is where is game seven being played? Hold on a second. Sometimes I get confused with these hockey games, who's playing where. But I believe it's being played in Ottawa. Because, yeah, because they had the higher seat. So, game seven is in Ottawa tonight, starting in about two minutes. So no, that's game six. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, 7.30. No, wait. Where's uh, it's oh, it's 3.2. It's game six. I'm sorry. It's yeah. game six. And it's at the Garden. For some reason, I thought it was game yeah. seven. Game six, game six at the Garden. 
So, game six at the Garden, I'll pick the Rangers. If I'm picking a team to win, I will pick the Rangers to win and move on to game seven, and that would give them some momentum going into game seven. Tomorrow night's game is going to be incredible between Pittsburgh and Washington. I'm very much looking forward to that game. And I will be on a flight to Minneapolis and we'll miss it, unfortunately. But I hopefully Wait, least, you're, hopefully you're, we'll be able to catch the way in. You're not you're not flying JetBlue? You're not flying JetBlue? I'm flying Delta. Flying Delta. Del Delta, believe it or not, so so we're gonna get a little bit off topic here because I've done quite a quite a bit of flying in the last two years. I actually added up you are, you I are traveling over I have flown flown over seventy eight thousand miles in the last year and a half, which is impressive. But then at the same time, you think of those people that do the million mile club, and you're kind of like, "Whoa, how the heck do they do that?" Because if I've done seventy eight thousand miles, and I've traveled to Australia twice, Bali, Abu Dhabi, England, Costa Rica, Minneapolis, you'd think. You've done a, quite a bit of flying. A million miles is ridiculous. Anyway, Delta, my friend, has one of the best in-flight entertainments I have seen. So you may be getting the back-of-the-seat the back entertainment, which has live television now. So you may want to check into that, which may give you an avenue to watch the game. Well, it's also, I'm also curious to see what time the game is on tomorrow night. Let's see what we're looking at here. Tomorrow night. I can I can give you that tomorrow night seven seven thirty tomorrow night. What time do you fly out, my friend? Seven eighteen. Oh, perfect. I will I will. You could probably I'll watch miss, the whole game. The, yep. If the game is on TV, if we, if yeah, but it also means that Delta has to get NBCSN, which is pretty unlikely. True. Well, you'll see. That's that that's very true. So, anyway, look, I, I, I very much enjoyed J- Delta's flying uh, to Phoenix. It, it was very surprising, and I give kudos to Delta. I, give, I, I will try not to fly United ever again. The seats are a little small. Uh, good, good for JetBlue and Delta, American Airlines, and United, not so much. But this is not a, uh, an airplane critique show. This is a sports radio show. And we had a new MMA fight that was scheduled in September of this year. And I I don't know who was scheduled. I know you do. And what Dana White said the other day, and I'll, I'll let you talk about this because you're obviously more clued into this sport than I ever will be or ever choose to be. What Dana White said was they took the date for Mayweather McGregor. So my question is twofold. One, is it, is it that there are just like one date that these guys can do it or they couldn't do it the next week or whatnot? And two, is this just Dana White being pompous and this McGregor-Mayweather fight will never happen anyway? He's just stoking the flames a little bit. Oh. Well, what happened was this. Uh, Canelo Alvarez embarrassed to Cesar Chavez Jr. 
in a middleweight title fight, in a fight that most people didn't think was going to be very close because Chavez lives in a lot of ways off the name of his dad, off of his dad's legacy. The biggest fight in boxing right now is Triple G, Janavi Golovkin versus Kale Alvarez. And this had been negotiated for a year, over a year, and the concern was that um, – this, what was going to happen here would be similar to what happened with Pacquiao Mayweather, where it was going to be out there for three, two, three, four years, and by the time the fight took place, neither of them or the older one, especially Golovkin, uh, wouldn't would kind of be out of his prime. There is no way that, first of all, there's no there's no way. The MMA, MMA and boxing want to match, want to have, want to have huge matches on the same day. Never, never want this. This is the single biggest boxing match that can be made at this point. Now, if you're going to have the McGregor Mayweather fight, which I would not pay a dollar to watch, you you obviously don't want you don't want any competition on it, and. Triple G Alvarez could very well draw about a million fans from a, from a pay-per-view standpoint. That's kind of the threshold that they're going to try and hit. Um, Alvarez has a huge Mexican following. Triple G has gradually gained uh, acceptance and, I guess, likability throughout the U.S. considering the way he fights. You're going to want to – if Mayweather McGregor comes to fruition – and I truly could care less if it does. Um, they're going to want, so they're, they are not going to want any major sporting event, in the, any major combat sport fighting event, to be in the time vicinity of this. And I don't. I actually think Dan White was telling the truth on it. I don't think it's an excuse. To, first of all, Dana White doesn't particularly want. I mean, he wants this fight to happen, but. The, the MMA is facing its own issue currently with all their big stars literally out. Um, there's really no huge draws other than Conor McGregor. So I'm not quite sure what this does for MMA if McGregor loses in the first round, which is quite likely. Um, I, I think it'll be pushed back. I, 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 think, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's lying about this. I think that, that was a date that they were probably planning on and you know, this is just this is what happens. No, no, no okay. major. I have no major insight into it. Okay, so this was a date that they were planning on. Like I said, okay, they were planning on this date. What's wrong with the week after? What's wrong with the week before? What's wrong with two weeks later? I maybe I just find it interesting that th- that he would come out and say this is the week we were planning. Oh shucks, now we can't do it. Now we have to re- circle back. Well, well, I know. Also, look, I know this is a major event, and I know you have arenas and you have schedules, and I get all that. But like you would a concert, like you would anything else, you have a backup plan. Is there no backup plan? I mean, this just seems to me to be sour grapes and saying, "You took our spot." I'm going to go shame you in the media saying you took my spot. So now everybody can be mad at you, and I have I look like the guy that wanted to do the good thing, but because somebody else took my candy and and went home, I can't give my candy to the to anybody else. 
That's what it seems to me. No, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. If it, if no deal is made, then you'll know it's all screwed. It's all smokescreen. If a deal comes out that it, the fight is made for September 30th or October 7th or September 16th or or September 9th, excuse me, then then you know there was validity to it. I don't think it, it, it shouldn't stop the fight. If it was going to be that weekend, then obviously you don't want two, two fights of that magnitude on the same weekend. But it shouldn't, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't stop the fight. There's no reason to think it would. And obviously you wouldn't put one on an undercard, correct? You couldn't have the two? No, you couldn't have one. It's... It's, okay. No, it's the biggest fight in it's the biggest fight in, in boxing versus two of the biggest names in, in the, probably the two biggest names in the boxing MMA world. Can't have an undercard. Okay, you can't fair. have an undercard fight. Okay, fair. Surprisingly, talking about MMA, I turned on the TV the other day and saw Blind Spot, which is one of my shows on NBC, and who walks out but Ronda Rousey in Blind Spot. She plays, uh, surprisingly, a felon who's in prison, <laughs> and she fights her, obviously fights her way out of prison, along with one of the characters. Are we done seeing Ronda Rousey in the MMA, in your opinion? Are, are we done? Are we not going to see her anymore? Is We're she, done. There's no comeback coming on. We're done. Now, what's the point? Um, after she lost to Holly Holm, November of 20, I guess it was 2015, um, or she was she she it was one of those it was almost like the Steve Blast disease in a way of once you kind of had had that deer in the headlights look for whatever the reason is it's very hard to get out of it and you know she was always fantastic at being this aggressive you know extraordinarily aggressive but her stand up defense was never great and she ran into a bad matchup with Holly Holm. And then once that was done, you know, she probably tried to will herself after punched in the jaw. Once you get punched in the face, sometimes it's not as easy to come back from that. And I mean, her psyche never, she was, she put up pretty much no fight in her, in the, in the last fight she had. And she's made a lot of money. She wants to be an actress and wants to do other things. She's already made her mark in women's MMA when her coming back. Ladies and gentlemen, I do like the comparison between Ronda Rousey taking a shot to the face and Steve Blast, Steve Blast being able to throw a baseball. Not exactly <laughs> the, uh, the yips uh, that Steve Blast or Steve Sachs had in no, that they couldn't the reach one, first base one, or home plate. But – yeah, I mean, can't take a hit to the face, can't throw the ball to first base. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, the idea is that once, it's, once something is, is in your head, it's very difficult. Of all people, you should know this. Once you're inside your head, it's very hard to get out of it. Really? I'm in my head? I can't imagine that ever happening to me. But, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing, ladies and no gentlemen. No comment. Seth knows all too well how much I am generally in my head. If you if you have the time and you have, I believe it's on Netflix or Hulu, 
Um, I suggest you watch a show called Herman's Head. Oh, by the way, Ottawa just went up one nothing, and took a penalty. So one nothing Ottawa over the Rangers in the first period. Fourteen thirty-eight left. If getting back to what I was saying, there is a, an excellent show. Well, what I thought was excellent at the time, I haven't watched it in a very long time. Called Herman's Head, and it basically is about five. It's about one guy and five people within the person's head all making the decisions, all the emotions. And the woman that has the voice for Lisa Simpson, I don't remember her name, is emotion. Yeah, she's emotion in this guy's head. So what I look, what I say is excellent TV, and I would say the most common people say are excellent TV are two entirely different things. But if you want some humor in your life, I would say go for that. So on this show we have talked about airlines, and we have now talked about comedies along with Lisa Simpson and the Rangers going in hand-in-hand as well. So, weird weird show. (laughs) I'm sorry? Very weird show. I said weird show. It was. It was one of those, and we'll continue down, obviously, the TV path. It was one of those shows around the time that The Simpsons came out. It's really what started Fox down a path of humor and comedy. And it came out around the same time as Flying Blind, which was Tia Leone's first show. Tia Leone. Which, yeah, like I said, if you you had asked me 20 years ago who my top five would be, and for those that watch Friends at Friends, they know what the top five means. The five celebrities you would cheat on your wife went for, Tia Leone would have made number one. If you are, wow, she, so she's now on Madam Secretary, but if you watch, go back and look at her under fly, in Flying Blind, she wore leather pants like I've never seen anybody since or before. So she was number one on that top five. She's made it to uh, Madam Secretary as a much older woman now being well, it's 20 years later, so she doesn't exactly wear those pants. But Flying Blind, Herman's Head, Simpsons, Gary Shandling Show, great Gary Shandling Show that we had on Fox. He's definitely on something. It was yes, on no? Fox. Yes, no. It was on Fox. It was on any, it was on. Yeah, it was the Gary Shandling Show. And what was the show that The Simpsons originated on? Tracy Ullman. The Tracy Ullman show was also on Fox. So all of those shows yep. really made, when Rupert, when Rupert Murdoch bought Fox and made them the fourth network, those were the shows that really started the ball rolling on Fox. So here you have gotten a history lesson on television as well on the Seth and Sean sports radio show. We are always happy to help you in whatever things that you need. If you'd like to call in 760-283-0846, 760-283-0846. Always happy to talk about whatever at this point. And Ottawa seems to be putting on quite the front, even though they have a penalty. They've just gone to their first commercial break with about 12 minutes left in the first period, and Ottawa up one nothing. So that's the hockey. And Jake is obviously very happy about that. You know, it'll be funny that – in about three years, when Jay can actually understand this, and we play back the radio shows, 
And we say, Jake, this is you. You were crying. Then you weren't, or maybe in 10 years. Well, in 10 years, we'll probably not have radio. So who knows? We'll have flying cars, or at least self-manned cars. Yeah, I got nothing on that. You got nothing. Okay. But I got nothing. So did you buy your $500 Alonzo Ball sneakers yet? I did not. I was about to bring that up to you. I did not buy the flip-flops either for $220. And LeVar Ball, you know, who do you compare LeVar Ball to? The first guy that I thought of was Todd Marinovich's father. For some reason, his, his name, who his name actually escapes me, but he was the first guy that came to my mind when I thought of LeVar Ball. The pre-president Donald Trump. He's a huckster. He's a sales guy. Doesn't, has no major talent. Has no, has no, he's got the gift of gab. And he's just trying to, he's trying to sell a product. I mean, the idea that anyone would pay $500 for sneakers is ass mind. The idea that anyone would pay $200 for sandals, I can't even fathom. Um, but again, I'm also not the target audience, I assume. Um, but all he's trying to do is, is sell. You know, that he, was, that he could have killed Michael Jordan one-on-one or, you know, that he could have done this for Charles Barkley. I mean, the problem is, in a lot of ways, the, the issue is that is acknowledging his existence is probably promulgating the, uh, the whole endeavor. You know, the reality is, you know, we have no idea what Lonzo Ball is going to be as a player. We don't. Now, we, look, he has got great talent, but nobody knows what this is, how this is going to play out. And the idea that the family, it's a billion-dollar entity when not one of the sons has played one professional game is just stupid. And I, half of me wants to tap, tip my hat for him because he's been able to make a spectacle of himself and gain such enormous publicity. And half of me wants to just roll my eyes. It's like listening how, to anyone talk who needs to impress people. How does this play out? Look, you know Lonzo Ball is going to be one of the top three players in the NBA draft. You, mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be uh, Fultz, Jackson, and Ball. Those are the three guys yep. that are in every mock draft as number one, two, and three. But – if this was an NFL, and for some reason the NFL has a little bit more of an issue with off-the-court, off-the-field issues, in my mind they do anyway, and they take it a little bit more seriously. If LeVar Ball yeah. was this rambunctious, was this outspoken, and dealing with the shield, the NFL, would his stock be dropping? Because his stock is not dropping – in, I'm sorry, uh, Lonzo Ball, not LeVar Ball, Lonzo Ball. Would his stock be dropping because of this off-the-field 
uh, distraction because I, I think, think it, it would in the I, NFL, and it's not going to in the NBA. I think there's a twofold. Well, there's a twofold issue. Uh, number one, as you said, this Lonzo hasn't said a word. This has all been Lavar. So there's nothing about Correct. Lonzo that has exuded this kind of arrogance. And number two, look at the end, look at the teams that are going to be most likely drafting. One, you know, in that early. Yeah, these are oh, Boston, I mean, the Lakers, Phoenix, the, team, the Lakers, and the Sixers. Those are the four the teams. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at – if he ends up in Boston, they already have between – it's kind of like the Kraft, Belichick, Brady triumvirate. Okay, that's Ainge fair. And, and, and Edward and uh, Stevens, where, you know, he's not going to get to pull this crap. Philly has an enormous amount of young talent as well. Plus, these are big cities. You know, if he goes to L.A., which is where he wants and where Vaughn wants him, and it's supposedly where the Lakers want – supposedly Lakers want him as well, you know, all this crap will fit in pretty well because it's a town that is full of, well, this kind of bombard, bombardism, for lack of a better term. You know, this this kind of hyperbole. So, I don't think it'll impact partially because of the teams that will be picking them. I don't think it'll impact partially because, you know, as I said, he hasn't made the comments. Supposedly, he's a pretty quiet, pretty relaxed, pretty chill dude. Now, you know, what's he, what is he going to do? You know, he's not 18 years old. Is he going to tell his father to shove it? Of course not. And nor could anyone expect him to. And very rarely, you know, if you're talking about Marinovich, you're thinking more in regards to him impacting the coaches or trying to have impact on the coaches. I don't see that. This is the NBA. They don't, they don't put up with that kind of crap here. I mean, can you imagine Brad Stevens listening to LeVar Ball? Well, I, and that's what I'm thinking. Uh, that's where I was going with this because could you imagine Al Davis listening to Marinovich's father? I mean, it's not necessarily, and you're right, Lonzo Ball hasn't said anything, and that's where probably the difference is. Anyway, we got about a minute and a half here, I believe. So let me just wrap up by saying, Mom, this is an – a shout-out to my mother who underwent a little bit of a heart condition last week. I'm really glad that you're home. I'm really glad that you're feeling a lot better, and hopefully in a couple of weeks you'll be here um, in New York. So uh, get better, and uh, and I love you. And I think that's as good as anything to end this show on. So for a cry, crying and screaming Jake Kamen's for – a somewhat exhausted Seth in under the weather, Seth Cameron. Uh, happy birthday, Sean. Glad you got to spend some time with the fam. And we'll try this run again next week. Absolutely. Have a good week, everybody. Good night, everybody.